today we're talking about, hey, why believe? Because God answers questions that science can't. We're going to drill down a little bit this. I'll try not to bore you because this is a topic that I enjoy talking about. Science is great. We love science. Uh, Christians actually see science as, as just uh, uh, studying and observing and finding out, discovering more and more about God's creation. So we love science. And by the way, science has advanced historically and today in cultures that are either Christian or have been heavily influenced by believers. Science springs from Christian cultures because of that very belief that God created, that it's orderly, that there are laws that we can hang on to. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 19, it says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. That's David writing. He's talking about how the universe around us shows us things about God. We can learn about God by just looking at creation. And scientists are doing exactly what they should be doing. Studying God's creation. Learning more about the world around us. But God answers questions that science can't. And I, I, we're just going to cover just three of those today. Because there's a lot, of those, a lot of questions that fall into that category. But we're just covering three. And the first one is simply this. Science, and by the way, some of these questions are the most important questions that we have. So first, science can't answer origins. Science can't answer where do we come from. Science has no understanding of that. They, they, they have no theory really that's plausible about that. And as we kind of dive into this just for a minute, and it's almost like for about five minutes here, we're going to go into classroom mode, so just hang with me on that. Is that all right? Is that all right for the rest of you? Okay, all right, good. So we're going to dive in a little bit, and, and here's what you got to understand about science. Scientific data has to be interpreted, and people interpret that data through, to, through different philosophies, and there are two major philosophies. I know some of you have heard this from me before. Just bear with me. And one is naturalism. And one I'll call naturalism plus. Now naturalism just simply says that matter and energy are the only things in the universe. The only things that exist are things that we experience with our senses. That we can see, taste, touch, smell. That we can observe. That that's all there is. And then, but there's another school of thought, another philosophy that looks at the same data, and they say, well, of course we accept everything that we see, matter and energy. Of course we accept the obvious existence of matter and energy. And that's the first place we look for explanations. But naturalism plus, the plus part is, but that we believe that there can be something that exists outside of nature, outside of just the physical realm. And most naturalism plus philosoph uh, 
people that go by the naturalism plus kind of a philosophy, they would say that, that something else is supernatural. Sometimes people call this supernaturalism. I don't think that's a great, great word for us. But supernaturalism, and that, that something that exists outside of nature, the great majority of naturalism plus philosophical people would say, and that is God. That is an intelligent being, a supreme intelligent being. And so there's a difference here. Now, what we got to understand is, what do naturalists say about origins? Well, we've all heard it. We've all probably been taught it in school. And origins, you know, that makes us think about evolution and uh, those types of issues that we have been taught. And to even talk about that, and I, I don't want to get bogged down in this because I talk about this so much, I feel like some people, you are going to go out of your mind if I start talking about this again. So hang on. But to understand anything about evolution, we have to first understand that there's a difference between macroevolution and microevolution. Microevolution is just selective breeding, either because of geography or because we want to bring out certain traits in animals. So everybody gets that. It happens naturally through geography. It happens naturally sometimes with survival of the fittest. Like We get that. But that always is within the same species or the same kind. Macroevolution says that kinds and species evolve into different kinds and species. And the reason I'm saying kinds, not just species, is because sometimes we get so small on the category of species. You know, for example, we'll, the kind would be canine. And the species would be fox, wolf, coyote, dog, you know, wild dog of Africa, dingo. You know, those are species. It's just, those are just words. But the point is, the kind doesn't change. Only kinds breed together. Kinds outside that don't bring together. And so that's what we're talking about. you got to understand that difference. And, and here's the deal. There is no hard evidence for macroevolution that everyone's been taught in school. No hard evidence. And you might say, well, then why are we even talking about it? And especially, why are we talking about it at church? Well, here's why. Uh, just read a statistic that was reported by Pew Research this year. It's, we're talking about it because most Americans still believe in evolution. In the face of other scientific discoveries, most Americans still believe in evolution. And even people who call themselves Christians, a bunch of people who say they're Christians believe in evolution. For example, uh, 60, 60 cent, 66% of Catholics accept evolution. They believe in evolution. Um, 65% of Protestants believe in evolution. 38% of evangelical Protestants believe in evolution. Now, of these numbers, 65%, uh, 66%, a, a small minority of those people would say that God was involved in the evolutionary process. And, and that would be a higher degree as, as serious as more people were serious about their faith. But the point is, there's still just this huge number of people who claim to be Christians, and, and no doubt who are Christians, some of them, who are still believing in evolution. Now, here, here's what I'm talking about. We learn from science, for example, genetic science, that we cannot change species or, bigger category, kind. Can't jump kinds. Can't breed kinds. 
It doesn't happen. Because why? All genetic information, genetic scientists tell us, is, is in the DNA. And so there has to be information for every trait that shows up in an organism. And they have the DNA genetic information for their kind, but never have the genetic information outside of their kind. So no matter what you do, you can never get this genetic information into the DNA to produce one kind turning into another kind. Does that even make sense? You know, we t- like dogs, canines are one of the broadest animals as far as how they can be different. I mean, you got little chihuahuas, you have Great Danes, you have wolves. They, but they all breed together, and that's just a result of selective breeding, either naturally. Obviously, a chihuahua is not going to live in Alaska very long. Or manipulated by man to bring out traits. But you can't ever make a dog a cat. You can't ever make a dog a cow. It's just a dog will never have a hoof. You can breed and breed and breed. You can manipulate. You can even mutate. And a dog will never have a hoof. That's what I'm talking about. Do you understand that? Because it's not in the DNA information. So where would that come from for a kind to transition to another kind? All right, I'll try to get off of that. But are you with me? That's scientific evidence against evolution. What we're saying is intelligent design is a way better explanation of the evidence we see than evolution. So that's the argument. Intelligent design, that there is a a designer God that created is a better explanation. Then why then... Do some scientists keep believing in evolution when there's scientific evidence against it? Do you see the question? Why then do, our, do a bunch of our scientists keep believing in evolution when there's a bunch of scientific evidence against evolution? Because it's the best naturalistic explanation of how we got here. You see what I'm saying? It's their philosophy that kicks in. Even though there's these problems, they can't figure out a better explanation from a purely naturalistic viewpoint than that. And so until they do, evolution rules the day. And this is actually something that the Bible talks about specifically. It's in Romans 1.18. I'd like you to turn there. Uh, Grab that. That's kind of our our main text for today. Paul writes, For the wrath of God, and remember, wrath and judgment is not inconsistent with love. I think we talked about that a couple months ago, but anyway. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them and here's how verse 20 for since the creation of the world his invi- talking about God's his invisible attributes his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made 
so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became fuel in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Here's Paul writing what this happens to men in the first century and today. We think we're, we're being wise and we're rejecting, rejecting tenets of God and we're actually being fools when we do that. Now, more and more scientists are rejecting Darwinian evolution. But when deciding for a better fit, they get stuck because of their naturalistic philosophy. It's not just genetics, and sometimes I, I get into this detail, and I'm really trying not to do this anymore, but let me just go, just, just some categories. Um, the absence of transitionary fossils. We're saying the fossil record doesn't show what Darwin said would be there and believed that would be there. All that's absent. Second law of thermodynamics. Things aren't winding up, they're winding down. Proof of an expanding universe. Scientists used to say the universe was eternal. Now we know from the... Hubble telescope and redshift that we've observed in the stars that actually the universe is expanding. It's been proven. It's expanding. Well, you back that up, and that means there was a creation. It all came from a point. Right, just like the Bible says. Mutations. So now to get over this genetic issue, people bring in mutations. Again, mutations are just mutations of the DNA. DNA genetic code that's in the DNA. It, a mutation never has a dog having a hoof. A mutation might have a dog having five legs, but the fifth leg is never beneficial to the dog. You know, and you've been to the carnival, right? The, the fairgrounds, maybe as a kid, old school, and you have people hawking, come and see the five-legged horse, you know, or whatever. Come and see the two-headed calf. You know, those are mutations, but they're never beneficial. And normally you go in there and you feel like you got ripped off because you paid three bucks and it's something in a petri, you know, in a jar of formaldehyde or something, or it's just some creative taxidermy or whatever, but it didn't. But yeah, sometimes that's real mixing of a genetic code, but it's all the code that's already there. Mutations are never beneficial. They're never passed on. And then there's irreducible complexity. Remember this? Uh, some of you will remember, you can illustrate that with the mousetrap. You know, there's a mousetrap is super simple. There's only five parts. You got a platform. You got the hammer that hits the mouse. You got the bar that's uh, keeping it from hitting the mouse. And you got the, the catch that holds the bar. And then you have the bait you know, that's all there is. But here's the thing. This couldn't have evolved because if you take one piece away, just one of the five parts, it doesn't just not catch mice quite as well. It doesn't catch mice at all, right? You take one part away, it doesn't work at all. And then you can apply this just to all kinds of stuff in our own bodies. For example, even Darwin said, yeah, it, it's, he used the word absurd to think that evolution is responsible for the evolution of the eye. Because there's a million parts in the eye and they all have to be working right for it to be ever, for you to even sense light and for it to be beneficial to an organism at all. Sometimes I'll use the heart. You know, the heart couldn't have evolved. It's, it's a muscle that pumps blood. Well, if you evolved a, an extra muscle in your chest, that wouldn't be beneficial to you until you had blood 
blood would have to develop. And that wouldn't be beneficial to you until you had a circulatory system that would deliver the blood. And that wouldn't be beneficial until your whole body had a system of using that blood. Do you see what I'm saying? You take, it, it all has to come in one shot. All right, I told you I wasn't going to do that, so I'm back. All right. We're out of the, we're out of the classroom. So here, so more importantly, let me just say this. Science cannot explain the evolution of life. Science can't explain how life got here. Not, not just matter, how matter got here, but life. No explanation for that. We can't do that. We can't create life. We can't create matter either. But God can't answer that, and he does. And God tells us where we come from that we are actually designed by a powerful and loving creator. And really, the evidence that we see all around us, at some level we know that has to be true in our heart. That this is not a cosmic accident. That we're here as a result of intelligent design for a purpose. So not only science can't answer the question of origin, secondly, science can't answer the question of meaning. And that is, why am I here? We're rational beings, and so every once in a while we ask, you know, well, here I am, I have life, I have self-awareness, I can think. Well, because of that, it leads me to the question of why I'm here. And of course, a naturalistic scientist would say what? There's no reason whatsoever. It's an accident. It just happened. An explosion went off, and millions and millions and billions and trillions of years later, here you are. That's it. That's the explanation. So there's no reason. It's a freak accident. And we look around, and some people look like freak accidents. But, you know, that's, that's not really the explanation. God has designed us. We, we didn't just show up. Nothing happens that way. Chaos Never produces order, ever. But God does tell us meaning. And we're wired up to want to know. A lot of you probably have heard this story. Um, I don't know that I've ever told it, but uh, back Steve Jobs, when he was four years into the founding of Apple, Apple's just like a company that came out of his garage or whatever, and he realizes he needs a heavyweight executive to help him launch this thing. So he goes to a man named John Scully, who's president of PepsiCo. You remember the story? And he talks to John, and, and then John's like, what? Why would I leave Pepsi and go to a four-year-old company? And, and then when, when, he, when he rejected Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs came back to him. This is a story told in Scully's words. Steve Jobs comes back to him and says, when are you going to quit selling sugar water? Come with me and change the world. And he does. Why? He didn't do it for the money. He didn't have any money. He didn't do it for the stock options. He had no idea. It's because he knew, hey, there's a purpose. We all want there to be a purpose. We want to live for a purpose greater than ourselves. We want our life 
to matter. We don't want to just live life so when, when, we, when we're dead, we'll have some family and some friends that will say nice things about us. Or we don't just want to live to accumulate enough money so we can retire and just kind of t- take it easy and pass it on. I mean, we, we, want, we want our life to mean more than that. We want our life to matter. That's meaning. Why do we have that longing? Because God has wired us for something greater than ourselves. God has put that in us. God makes us want to to make a mark, to make a difference. God's planted that in us. We exist, Scripture says, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And then God not only gives us meaning and purpose, He gives us a job to do, and that's to point other people to Him. That's why we exist. He makes us a part of the human drama that's unfolding through the ages as God is working this plan to redeem sinful mankind back to himself. And as believers, we're all players in that. That's the way God intended it. It's what he wants from us. Science can't answer origins, can't answer meaning. And last, science can't answer the longing for love. Just three of the questions we're talking about here. We all have this longing for love that that shows us, teaches us that there's more than just the physical. And where does that come from in the universe? Where does that come from with matter and energy? We know there's more than, than the physical. This is so ingrained in us, we don't even notice it. Every Mother's Day, right? We get a Mother's Day card, hopefully, and we give it, we write in it, or it says something nice. If we're not much a writer, we find a card that says it for us, and we give it to our moms. Why do we do that? Notice the cards never say this. Thanks, Mom, for your biological contribution to my life. (laughs) It's more than that, always more than that. Why? Thanks, naturalism would say, hey, thanks, Mom, for the biological contribution to my life. Hey, thanks for the egg, Ma. That's it. No, that's not how our cards are. So we understand we love. We feel. What is it? Now, a naturalistic explanation would be something like, well, that's a feeling that evolved uh, because that helped us be more successful at reproducing. Okay, if that's the way you want to define romantic love, okay. But that doesn't answer all the questions. What about friendship love? What about your love for your grandmother? I mean, that doesn't answer all that. And it's not just the love we experience. We have a longing to be loved. We started the series saying, God knows you completely, every secret. And God loves you. More than you've ever dreamed. More than I can tell you. As an individual. And he's infinite so he can do that with everybody. God loves you. And we have a longing to be loved. And if you're sitting here today and you don't feel loved by anyone, you know you're missing something. You're you're not only probably bummed, depressed, 
statistically, you're in danger. Because we all have this need to be loved. And it's only God that makes sense out of love. The Bible says God is love. And by the way, it's only the God of the Bible that can say God is love. Because it's only a singular God who exists in plurality that can say, I am love, and that be real. I know that's kind of weird, but God would have to exist eternally as one God in at least two persons to be able to say God is love. You see, it can't be that God is love, but then he created something to love later. It's no, God is love. The problem is we get this all confused. And today, you know what happens? People, they, when they say God is love, a lot of people say that. Even people who aren't believers say that. And really what they mean is love is God. And what they mean by that is, hey, love is more important than anything God says. Love rules the day no matter what God says in the Bible. And that's wrong. Here's what Scripture says. In the beginning, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Here we have the Father speaking, the Spirit moving. Later we find out it was the Son creating. And then it continues in 127. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then in 1 John 4, beginning of verse 9, he says it this way. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And it ends, this section ends this way. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. You see, when we love effectively, we love because God's in us first. God teaches us how to love. And we have this movement today where people just love, love, love with no truth. It's not loving to withhold truth from people. It's not loving just to say, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. When it's not great, when it's against what God says. We have this all the time in social media. People doing all these things against God and Christians going, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I'm glad you shared that. Oh, thank you very much. When it's against God's word. What are we thinking? Don't encourage them. God teaches us how to love. And we don't love by withholding truth. We don't love by, by making just everything's okay. We love them. We're concerned for them. And we say, I don't think that's best for you. Well, why would you think that? Because God says this. God loves you. 
God does not withhold truth from you. God tells us we've sinned against him. And he tells us all the points of how we've sinned against him. And he still loves us. And he doesn't just love us with little thumbs up on Facebook. He doesn't just love us with, with emotion. He loves us with action. Out of the swirling, bubbling headwaters of Trinitarian love, God created us. And he gave us free will. Love does not force. He allowed us to love him back or to reject loving him back. And we, we've all strayed from God. We've all rejected to live his way. And he still loved us. And still loves us. And so he sent his one and only son, Jesus, God in flesh, 100% man, 100% God, to come. He lives a perfect life as an example to us, but then being the only one qualified to die for someone else's sins, he allows himself to be tortured to death by his own creation in love. To pay our price for sin. So that if we just admit our sin. And we trust in Christ alone. That we can be forgiven. Forever. And we can follow him. In love. And peace. And joy. He will change our life. From the inside out. He will teach us what love really is. It's only God that can give you meaning. It's only God that can show you real love. And I, I would just ask, Plead. Put your trust in him. Put your trust in the king who died for you. Put your trust in the one who bled for you. Put your trust in Jesus. If you haven't done that yet, there's no better time than right now. Just express to him in your own words. You can do it silently in a prayer. Just call out to God admitting your sin and asking him to forgive you, come into your life. If you want to talk about that, we'll be in room one after the service for a short time. Let's talk about it. If you have any questions, let's, let's get those questions answered. And if you're a believer here this morning, did you catch what, what Paul said in Romans? They knew God, they knew about God, but they did not glorify God. Did not honor God. Did not give him thanks. Is that you today? Do you know God? Or maybe you're a believer, but you realize your life does not honor God. You don't really, you're not grateful to God. You're not motivated by that in your life. Change that. Are, are you a believer and you haven't even followed with the first step that God tells you to do? Believer's baptism? You have an opportunity to do that. 
Are you a believer, but you've not really made it official to be part of a, a local body of believers, a church that, got, that Jesus Christ founded himself and said was important? Honor God. Let's stand. We'll pray together. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. And God, when we think about what you have done for us in the, in the beginning of time, and you are beyond time, but for us, the beginning of time, Lord, when you worked and you created, and you even created in your own image us, and you loved and you poured out grace, and God, you made provision. You gave us freedom, and you made provision for our failures. God, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for creating us. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for loving us and giving us purpose and meaning in life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.